Good morning. I'm Tom Corlett, Building Inspector with the San Francisco Department of Building Inspection. I will be the moderator and co-presenter this morning for our condominium conversion program. We have the good fortune to have with us this morning Ms. Cheryl Herrera, Survey Associate with the Department of Public Works Bureau of Street Use and Mapping. Ms. Herrera will discuss issues which relate to her department's involvement with condominium conversions. Also, we are grateful to have with us today Mr. Timothy Lee, Ellis Coordinator for the San Francisco Rent Stabilization Board. Mr. Lee will give us the benefit of his experience and knowledge related to the Ellis Rent Board issues during the question and answer portion of this morning's presentation. Our presentation will walk you through the procedures which govern condominium conversions in San Francisco. Set aside for now what you may have been told by friends, family, and even some well-meaning city employees about condominium conversions. Please hold your questions until all presentations are complete, at which time the microphone located in the middle aisle will be available. And now to begin, may I introduce uh, the doyen of the Department of Public Works, condo conversion, Ms. Cheryl Herrera. Good morning. Thank you. Um, my name is Cheryl Herrera. I've been with the Department of Public Works since 1998. Today I'm going to give a quick overview of the condominium conversion process in San Francisco and how Department of Building Inspection fits into that process. I see that most of you have picked up the residential condominium conversion application. You can find more information uh, about condo conversions from our website, sfdpw.org. This is our website here. Uh, you will go to the permits and mapping where you see the red arrow there, and that will take you directly to the Department of Public Works website. Basically, there are two kinds of buildings in San Francisco that can convert to condominiums. The two, building, two kinds of buildings that can convert to condominiums in San Francisco are what we call two-unit owner-occupied and two to six residential units that convert via the condominium lottery. Buildings with seven or more units in San Francisco cannot be converted to condominiums. I'll start with the two-unit lottery bypass, and then we'll come back to condominium conversion by lottery after that. First off, be sure to determine whether or not you qualify for condo conversion. Do you meet the minimum owner occupancy requirements? You'll also want to determine if you're eligible under the San Francisco Subdivision Code. Certain evictions may affect when or if you can convert your building to condominiums. The two-unit lottery bypass requires both units to be owner-occupied by separate owners of record for one year. So the key is to be an owner of record for a year and an occupant of the building for a year. The owners of record, the qualifying owners of record, should also be listed in the preliminary title report and, and own a minimum of 25% ownership in the building. When you approach your one-year anniversary, or for those who've been in their buildings for more than a year, once you're ready to convert, you'll go to Department of Building Inspection and apply for something called your Physical Inspection Report. You'll get a receipt when you apply. You'll want to keep that. It's going to be a part of your condominium conversion application at a later date. You can also apply for something called a 3R report. Tom will talk in more detail about both of those in just a minute. A little bit of information about condominium lottery. In general, tickets go on sale right around Thanksgiving and run through the end of January. The cost is $150. You can purchase the tickets at 875 Stevenson, room 460. The lottery drawing is generally held in the beginning of February. As of today, the details for the 2007 condominium lottery haven't been finalized. You can check our website, sfdpw.org. As, as, as soon as the details become final, it will be posted there. It will also run in at least one local newspaper. This year, for the first time, you will be able to print the condominium lottery ticket form, ticket purchase forms from our website. So be sure and check it frequently as soon as they're posted. Get those items printed. 
There will be one document that will require a notary signature this year. So how do you know if you can participate in the condominium lottery? Buildings of two to six residential units can, can participate in the lottery. Qualifying owners have to be listed in the preliminary title report and have a minimum of 10% interest in the building. Basically, this group breaks down further into two groups. Two to four units require one unit owner-occupied by an owner of record for three years at the close of condominium lottery ticket sales. For five and six unit buildings, you need three units owner-occupied by separate owners of record for three years at the close of condominium lottery ticket sales. That three-year period is counted backwards from the, the day condominium lottery ticket sales close. So for 2006, ticket sales closed January 26th. So everybody that qualified for the 2006 lottery had to meet the minimum requirements January 26, 2003. About seven days after the condominium lottery drawing, Department of Public Works will release the certified list. All winners will be notified that they can submit their application. All lottery participants will receive notice of, their, of the results of the lottery. If you haven't heard from our office by the beginning of March, you should give us a call. You can also view this information on our website. It's at sfdpw.org. As soon as you've been notified by the city that you've been selected in the lottery to convert your building, you should go to Department of Building Inspection, apply for your physical inspection report. You can apply for your 3R report at that time. These are two separate items. And at this point, uh, Tom Corlett is going to speak about those. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. To get the ball rolling with the uh, building department, you should submit an application for a physical inspection at 1650 Mission Street, room 312C. Uh, the old applications were filed in the main building department office at 1660, but uh, they've since moved. 1650 Mission Street, room 312C. You can also phone 558-6454 and request that the information be mailed to you. To the right of the screen, you'll see an example of an application for a physical inspection. Um, it's important that certain information be shown on that application and be clear and relatively concise. Um, first off would be the address of the building. And please list all addresses, not just your address. Primary use line is fairly typical. You can call it a dwelling or an apartment or residence, whatever you choose to. If there is another use in the building, for example, if you have a two-unit residential building and on the ground floor you have a candy store, well, you would need to list that use as the candy store for the other use on that line. And then to the right is uh, the number of units. And to the right of that would be the square footage of the commercial space. This is approximation only. It doesn't have to be exact. Another important item is the number of structures on the lot. Each separate residential building requires a separate application be filed. If you have uh, a single cottage on the back of the lot and two units on the front of the lot and they are detached, you would fill out two separate applications which would indicate the information for that individual building, the two addresses for the front two units and the address for the rear unit with separate applications being filed. There's one exception to that, and that is if the two structures, the two residential structures on the lot are both single-family buildings. If they're both single-family buildings, one application is all you need to complete. The fee schedule for the units are based on the number of units in that particular building. And the minimum fee right now is $480 for a two-unit building. You'd need to put down the contact name and phone number so that when the time does come for me or someone else in the office to call to schedule an appointment, 
we can do that. Frequently I get no phone numbers and uh, it just slows things down a little bit. Um, it will take anywhere from six to 12 months before you are actually called uh, to schedule the inspection. Uh, that's because of the very large amount of requests that have been filed in the last couple of years for condominium conversions. Currently, it's taking about eight months from the time you file your physical inspection request until I call you or someone else in the office calls you to schedule an inspection. There are currently two of us that are performing these inspections. It's myself and Adwin Lau, and uh, there will soon be a third person joining us, so hopefully we will get completely caught up in the, on that backlog. On the date that the inspection is scheduled, uh, your building will be inspected by three different inspectors. They come from three separate divisions, all within the Department of Building Inspection. It will be either me or Mr. Lau for the building department. There will also be one plumbing inspector and one electrical inspector. Inspection can be um, handled in as little as 30 minutes for a relatively clean and simple two-unit building. Uh, larger buildings, more complex, more violations take slightly longer. After the inspection, the research and preparation of the report takes typically two to six weeks. Uh, when you receive your physical inspection report, it will itemize the violations that we found. And unless there are no violations listed, you must obtain separate permits from each of the three divisions, one building, one electrical, and one plumbing. And yes, the homeowner, the owner's agent, or contractor can apply for and obtain the building permit. You need to check with the plumbing and the electrical departments to find out the particulars for obtaining plumbing and electrical permits. At the end of the report that you receive, there will be an important recommendation. It will list some information that uh, is very helpful in guiding you as to what kind of permits you need and whether you are required to file plans. So pay close attention to that if you would. Once you have received your report and you've gone through it with the uh, other principals involved and it's time for you to contact your contractors. After that, apply for your building permit and in order to do that you come to 1660 Mission Street, bring a copy of your physical inspection report um, and submit the copy along with the pink application form. The application will list the, uh, once again, the addresses of all numbers in the one building that we're referring to for this building permit application. If you have two buildings on the lot, you will be required to fill out two building permit applications. On line 16, I don't know if it's clear on there or not, but where, where I say um, uh, comply with report 3R5555, a made-up number. Um, it's important that you put your four-digit number down there because that way when this is entered into the computer everything will track on how that's phrased and it will follow that number. If you have questions once again about plumbing or electrical please just call those departments and uh, the phone numbers are at the bottom of the screen there. Once the building permit is issued and you have made the corrections it's time to call the department separate divisions and request the inspections. On a simple job, no other inspections beside final inspections are required. And typically speaking, you would have a final plumbing and a final electrical inspection performed. And they would be done before the final building inspection. It's essential that the building inspector come last in this process because the district building inspector is the one that will issue your certificate of final completion. And hang on to this certificate. It is a document that's important in many ways. Uh, make several copies of it. And as soon as possible, take a copy to the Department of Public Works and uh, 
that way they will know that you're finished with the building department. And that's pretty much it for my portion of the presentation. I'd like to return to Cheryl Herrera. Thank you. Okay, so once you've applied for your physical inspection and you know now that it's time to start compiling your application for condominium conversion, um, you can print it also from our website, sfdpw.org. You'll begin shopping for a licensed land surveyor or civil engineer licensed before 1982 to prepare your condominium map. When you read the application, please pay specific attention to the section that says finalizing your application. This will guide you through uh, the compiling process, how it should be collated for submittal to our office at um, 875 Stevenson, room 460. Once you've submitted your application, and once you have your physical inspection report from Department of Building Inspection, begin your, <coughs> excuse me, begin your code compliance work right away. You'll also want to start preparing something called your covenants, conditions, and restrictions. <coughs> this is known as the CCNRs. This is a document that will record once your map has recorded. So the application, the complete application, has been submitted to our office, 875 Stevenson, room 460. We refer it to the appropriate city agencies that would be planning, the Human Rights and the Rent Board. Once planning approves, Department of Public Works will send your approval back to your map preparer, your surveyor or engineer licensed before 1982. Department of Public Works will work with your map preparer to get the map in the final format that's ready for signature by the county surveyor. While all this is happening, you should be working to finalize all your code compliance work so you can get your CFC from Department of Building Inspection, and you should be finalizing your CCNRs, the Covenants, Conditions, and Restrictions. When the maps are ready for signature, Department of Public Works will contact your map preparer. They will ask for the final mylar. They'll also ask for a copy of the CFC, the recording fee, and the tax certificate. You'll, <clears throat> you can obtain a tax certificate from the controller's office. They're at City Hall. It's room 316. You can contact, contact them at 554-7521. So once these three items are submitted and the Mylar review is complete, the entire package will be given to the county surveyor for his signature. Once they're signed, then we will go ahead and coordinate the recording of the map at the recorder's office. By law, they have 10 days to record. Once your maps record, then at that time, you will go ahead and get your CCNRs recorded, and that, that will complete the condominium conversion process. There is one other kind of a conversion. It's called a commercial condominium conversion. Uh, is anybody here about that today? <laughs> okay. Um, that application, I don't have copies today. You can print that application from our website, sfdpw.org. Basically, it, it, the conversion, commercial conversion follows the same track as the residential conversions as far as referral to city agencies and those such things. There are no owner occupancy requirements. The key to a commercial conversion is you cannot have any commercial use at all in the building when you're, when you're submitting your application. And once your map records, there will be no residential use. They're strictly commercial condominiums. Uh, if that doesn't answer all your questions, then you can either ask or I can meet you downstairs later on and we can talk about it in a little more detail. That's it for me. Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, at this time, I'd like to open up for questions and answers, and the microphones are right there in the middle aisle. Please. Could you give uh, a typical range of costs for, um, for work uh, correcting the physical inspection on, say, the typical 100-year-old, you know, two- to four-unit building in San Francisco, a range? Uh, I would say anywhere from $1,000 to $100,000. <laughs> I'm, 
If you could give me some specifics, possibly I could narrow it down a little bit, but it's, it's not our job to necessarily estimate what the cost of this will be for you. And when you get your contractors together, they will come up with a sum that will either please or surprise you beyond belief. And it, it goes both ways. So without having seen the site and uh, having some information, further information, I wouldn't know what to tell you. Thank you. Um, I have, I've heard that uh, some people recommend getting a pre-inspection uh, before the inspections. And does that make sense, and especially for electrical? I can't say for sure whether it makes sense or not. The, uh, I know it does happen, and on occasion, um, the, the person or the firm that's doing it is very qualified. In some cases, it's um, nothing more than a contractor that may have nothing else to do, so they will kind of second guess as to what uh, will be cited and what will not be cited. This is a kind of inspection where you, you not only have the violations that may appear at the site, but you also have to consider uh, the history of the building and what may or may not have some kind of a grandfather provision to it. Um, the, the fact that you want to hire someone to do it, uh, once again, would depend on that person's credentials and their history and their understanding of San Francisco in particular. I have a couple of questions on a two-unit owner-occupied building where you have the owners who've met the requirement of a year. What it, There's overlapping items that you talked about. You talked about the condo papers being written. You talked about a surveyor. You talked about the application. You talked about the um, going to the building department to get the inspection report. So there are several of them, and I'm trying to figure out which are concurrent with each other. And also, I've heard that the fee to apply for condo conversion is $8,300. When does that start, and where does that, which application does that go with? The condominium conversion fee goes with the application that you submit to Department of Public Works. Uh, when do you have a complete application? You can apply for your physical inspection report in advance. You'll need to do that because the receipt that you receive on that day is going to be part of your condominium conversion application. You know, the other items that you talked about, can they're all done pretty much concurrently. You'll be working with building inspection on the code compliance work preparing your CCNRs, all of those things should be going on while Department of Public Works is reviewing your map and getting it ready to be recorded. Is that? Um, well, okay, so the, what we need is the, the first thing is to get the inspection. That's what I hear. So with that, what fee are you paying to? The first thing to do is apply for the inspection. Okay. You're not necessarily going to have your inspection right, when you submit your application. It's so 8 you, to 12 months or whatever right. the time Right. So the fees now. for the physical inspection, what the, would it Yeah, the fees for a two-unit building, $480. Okay. And the 8300 is after the inspection has been done and we've corrected the violations? Is, I'm trying that to is a that. separate application that's filed with Cheryl's department. Okay. Right. So that's not up front. That's somewhere down the line after some of these things have been met, some of the requirements that you talked about. Is that the $8,000 fee is the condominium conversion application fee. So that check would be submitted with your application. Um, you'll have your receipt of the that you applied for your physical inspection report with your application. And you just submit, you'll submit it all together, and okay. all of those other items will be happening simultaneously, working on your CCNRs and working on the building code items that you get from building inspection. And then I have a building department question, which I believe you had asked, and it had to do with what kinds of items, I mean, what you thought the cost would be on the physical inspection. Do you track the things that come up on a regular basis for buildings? There's got to be fairly standard items that you see 
regularly, i.e., is it mostly plumbing and electrical? Is it, I mean, stairways, I've heard about the back stairs are a whole other issue, and I'm assuming it's all a health and safety component. Is that correct when you, what you're looking for when you go in a building? Well, you could certainly simplify it and say it's all health and safety. Okay. Um, there's, there's any number of things that everything is looked for, everything is looked at, but not everything is a violation necessarily. Okay. There are some situations where uh, a stairway that is original with the building would not conform to today's stairway requirements. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's something that would be grandfathered in. Okay. Um, there are numerous things that are typically cited, weather stripping, smoke detectors, those are energy conservation ordinance items, I think, or some of them are. Well, the smoke detector is not, not but, in that uh, area. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. You're very welcome. If you have a minute afterwards, if you wanted to meet me downstairs, I can we can talk some more about your question. Yes, sir. Um, I'd like to know if there's any time constraints from the time the inspection process has started from when, when we actually start to have uh, physical building, plumbing, and electrical inspections. Once those inspections are complete, do we have any? Is there any time period for compliance to bring to bring the property into compliance from the time those? Is there like a year, or is it five years, or is there some? Is there some constraint on how soon uh, compliance has to be reached at once we know what the problem is? Yes, there is. It's a little vague. The cover letter that you receive with your report will say that you have six months to comply with everything in the report. That is not enforced, strictly speaking. If you uh, decide to that you can't get around to your work for a year or a year and a half, that's fine. There's no need to request an extension because the six months is not enforced. It's in your own best interest to get the work done as soon as possible, though. I have uh, two questions about the owner-occupied two-unit lottery bypass. Uh, requirement. Uh, first one is uh, there's a requirement for the owner occupants to be two separate owners as opposed to one. So am I correct then in assuming that a uh, joint ownership, husband and wife, joint tenancy or something like that would not qualify under that uh, two separate owners? That's correct. The, the husband and wife would qualify the one unit that they occupy. Even if the husband and, wife, husband and wife occupy both units, the, uh, the second unit is fully on that, that's not, correct. Not considered as separate owners of record for purposes okay. of conversion. Okay, and the, so the second question is related to that. Is there a practical bypass to that situation, such as re-recording the deed under each uh, uh, person or t uh, several people in the same family that may be related but um, uh. if there's a separate owner of record in that second unit, they have to be on title and they have to have a minimum of 25% interest in the building. So if you had um, a parent or a child that was going to move into that other second unit, they'd have to be on title for a year. They'd have to have minimum 25% interest mm -hmm. in the building, live there for a year, and then you could go ahead and bypass. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. I have a couple of questions. Um, it's actually kind of lumped up in one. Um, if uh, There's a couple of um, types of building. One's a single-family home, and then the other one is a warehouse. Um, and it's to be converted as a condominium. Would it be necessary? Would it be necessary to convert it first, like re renovate the properties? before applying for the condominium conversion, or can you just um, apply at the same time? It's a single-family dwelling? One of them is, and then the other is a warehouse. It's like a three-lot. They're all in the same lot. You have a, a warehouse and a single-family dwelling. Yeah, but it's separate owners, a couple of different owners. But their, their interests are the same, wherein they want to convert the entire area into a condominium, and sell it for so they all profit. they all share they all own the property they don't own their separate yes like the warehouse is individual owner one owner 
um, but they are planning on converting it as a condominium. And then the other one next to the lot is um, a single-family home with a separate owner, but they want to convert as condo because there's enough room for, you know, the space. Okay, so if it's one legal lot, technically the residential building occupant, they don't own that residential unit and the, and the commercial people that are running using the commercial part, they don't own it. They own an interest in the property right now. They can only own those those buildings separately once they become condominiums. Uh-huh. Now, and your question as to how you can convert, if as long as there's one single-family residence only, then you can bypass the lottery. Uh, you just submit the condominium conversion application. There's a place on there where you, where on the application that you check, one one residential property, one commercial property. It's called a mixed-use conversion. It would be a two-unit mixed-use conversion. None of the owner occupancy requirements would apply. Um, I think I might have, because I put them together. <laughs> um, Are you talking about two separate lots or one yeah, lot? Yeah, it's, it's actually three lots all together. And the one lot is owned by one person, and then the two other lots is owned by a different person. But it's um, the one lot is bigger than this. Actually, the, I mean, the one that has warehouse is larger. Do you have time one. to meet me downstairs after? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a long answer. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I have a couple questions. First is if a if a owner decides to do major renovation on his his or her property, um, is it best for him or her to wait until after the inspection by DBI, or is it better to just get started, given the timing of um, what it takes to get an inspection? It depends on the scope and the size of the remodel. If you're doing all interior work and it, let's say it's a major interior remodel, you can do that before or after um, my physical inspection. If it would also involve a change in the envelope of the building, vertical or horizontal addition, or a change in the amount of area that one uh, owner would possess versus the other, that would possibly affect the map and then uh, you would certainly want to do that beforehand. Do you come out to do your inspection when there are open building permits um, on the building? Or is it a rule that you will not, you have, you have to have all the permits closed? It's possible to come out if there are open building permits. A lot depends on the type of work that uh, is involved and the permits that you're referring to. Uh, it's not uncommon for there to be, uh, let's say, an old kitchen or bathroom remodel or an old window installation permit that was never finalized, but it's still open. Uh, something like that uh, won't affect my inspection, uh, assuming that the work is finished and the, and the property is being lived in. If, if you're doing a major remodel and the house is down to bare framing, then it's a major issue for me. There's nothing for me to inspect. Right. Just one last thing. Thank you, Tom. Is um, if there is an illegal deck on the back of the building, is it better to try to deal with that before the inspection through a repair permit or an upgrade permit and get that work done? Or is it better to um, just wait until it's a ding on the, or an item on the report of physical inspection? Well, if it's truly illegal, and obviously so, uh, a repair permit isn't going to legalize it. Uh, and it's, it's quite possible that I would cite it and you would have to address the building code issues, plus you'd have to consider all city planning issues. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. My question is not about the process itself, but about the quality of, of standards for uh, a building that gets converted legally versus uh, a new condo building, so to speak. In other words, I'm wondering, uh, after a process is, is completed successfully on an older building, does one have uh, essentially an, 
simply an older condo unit, or is it something that would be significantly different standard-wise versus going out and buying a new condo unit today? For example, I'm thinking specifically of, of uh, insulation and walls in between your neighbors. Uh, so like in an older building, uh, often, you at least where I live, you can often hear you know, a lot next door simply because uh, when the building was built, probably the insulation standards were different. So, um, you know, are there any kind of handy rules of thumb in terms of, you know, what you don't get, you know, with a legal conversion as compared with what you do get with a, a new unit today? Well, certainly with a new unit, you get all the bells and whistles, and plus hopefully uh, some belief that the building is in 100 percent compliance. It certainly should be. With an older building, it's not required to be in 100% compliance with today's code. It would need to meet only a minimum standard, and that could be a um, factor of some old code issues and some newer code issues. If there had been some remodeling work performed, uh, then possibly the newer work would have to meet today's standard. Uh, a, a fine example of that is a kitchen remodel. Uh, see a lot of those, see a lot of those without permits. And uh, typically speaking, a, uh, the electrical inspection department will ask for a survey inspection to be performed at the site so that uh, the electrical inspector can meet your electrical contractor at the site and go through certain aspects of what had been performed to try to determine whether it's safe and meets all the current standards. This can go back several years on an old remodel if there was no permit for it. And uh, that could present a problem uh, if you weren't the one that had the work performed and you bought a building thinking that it was in full compliance when in fact it isn't, uh, then you could be in for a surprise insofar as having to at least pay for uh, any extra work that may need to be performed on that kitchen to bring it up to today's standard. But the entire building does not have to be brought up to today's standards. Okay. Well, I think I understand that. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Ken Stockwell. I'm with uh, Prudential California Realty. And I have a question in regard to uh, most TICs that I see that are on the market currently are um, apartment complexes that are simply trying to condo convert. And so I'd like you to, to speak a little bit more on what is involved in the inspection, considering the fact that most units already have plumbing and electrical that is designated for each specific unit. So I'm kind of wondering what, what the, not necessarily what the process is, but what, what you look for as an inspector in regard to those types of situations. I, I'm, I'm a little bit lost as to why somebody would need to come out and inspect something that is already put in place. Is it simply to bring it to up, up to today's standards? Well, I think I've already answered that it doesn't have to meet today's standards. Um, the, the purpose of the inspection is to see that it meets a minimum standard. And a lot of research goes into that, the final decision as to what will and will not be in the report. Uh, it's, it's not unusual to have a scenario where I don't know which way I'm going to go on any given thing. I do consulting with the other people in the office, um, do a lot of research, and make a decision from that. Um, I can't know in advance what kinds of things will be cited on any given building. I have to go there, I have to see it, I have to walk through and make an evaluation at that time. There is no typical scenario for any building in San Francisco. Hello. Hello. Uh, my name is Dan Osborne. My wife and I own a two-unit, uh, that is a two-flat uh, building. Uh, we wholly own the building now, and we live in one unit, and we rent out the other unit. Do we qualify for the two-unit bypass? You would have to participate in the condominium lottery. For a two-unit bypass, you have to have both units owner-occupied by separate owners of record. And you've got a tenant in 
the second unit, which means that you cannot bypass the lottery. You'd have to participate in the lottery, and as long as you've been there for three years, then you can buy a lottery ticket when they go on sale. Thank you. You addressed a two-unit building and the necessity for the second one to have a 25% interest. Is that correct? Both. Oh, go on. I would like to address a three-unit building. What are the... Um, what are the percentages that are necessary there? Okay, so when you have a three-unit building, uh, this building participates in the lottery. It's the only way it, it's allowed to convert. You have to have the one-unit owner occupied for three years. The minimum owner occupancy requirement is 10 year, uh, 10 percent. Okay, thank you. Well, the ownership requirement is 10 percent. Thank you. I have two questions. One is what is the expected number of applicants um, for the lottery this year uh, and maybe what were the numbers last year? Um, and second, uh, what are the tenants' rights in terms of condominium conversions? I don't have the exact number of applicants that uh, participated last year, but I believe the number of units was about 1,600, somewhere around there. And um, I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? What are the tenants' rights oh. in terms of a conversion? Okay, the tenants' rights. Tenants have rights of first refusal to purchase their unit. The building owner, prior to submitting their application for conversion, they should be notifying their tenants of what their rights are. It's all part of the application requirement. You should be told specifically that the building will be converted to condominiums and you have rights of first refusal and where to get more information on that. I have two related questions. I have a two-unit TIC. We are now coming up on our first year of total owner occupancy. And we're trying to figure out what work we need to do before we begin the process and what work we need to do after the process as far as work on the house. So I'm wondering first, what do we need to do as far as dividing up things like electrical and water um, in the house? Right now we have a, it's a three-story building and the top unit is occupied, the top floor is occupied by one owner the bottom two floors belong to myself and my husband, but the top floor and the bottom floor are on the same electrical, which is one of those typical San Francisco stories, I guess. Uh, so how much do we need to do to divide up the, the electrical and the water before we condo convert? And uh, we also currently have the water heaters in one unit. Do we need to get those divided? And then my second question, um, my husband and I have the two stories, and we need to put in a staircase between the two stories. Should we wait to do that until after we condo convert, or should we do that before? Let me take your second question first. Do it before. Okay. The first question is uh, regarding electrical, and I'll answer your question to the best of my ability, but I suggest you also call the electrical department to make certain that this is correct. Uh, typically speaking, if there is a two, three, five, six unit building and there are any common areas, then the common areas will be required to be on their own meter. Uh, there will be a separate house panel and a third meter that PG&E will take care of. Now, that scenario would be for a two-unit building. The third meter would be the house meter and the house panel. And that's where all the utilities, the electrical utilities for the common areas would receive a bill for that meter. There are some exceptions to that, but I'd like you to actually call the electrical division and uh, have them answer that for you. And then do we need to divide up water coming into the building? The water isn't required to be divided. And uh, you mentioned about water heater? Yeah, we have two water heaters that are currently on one floor. So they're in my unit. So the upstairs um, owners have their water heater in my unit. So do they need to put that in their unit? Um, 
I'm not certain if that's addressed in the CCNRs on how you would access that uh, if they weren't home or some emergency repairs needed to be performed. Uh, it's suggested that they all be in common areas, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. They're not required to be separated. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Hi. Hello. If you have a two-unit building that, according to the 3R report, is a legal duplex, but there's a bonus studio that's part of the legal square footage and the bathroom's legal, but it's not a legal studio, does that need to be removed to qualify for the two-unit condo conversion you know, bypassing the lottery? Does, it need to, does the kitchen portion just need to be removed because it's legal square footage? What would the... Uh, Did you say it has a kitchen? It's a le yeah, it's a studio, but it's not a legal unit. So it does have a kitchen, but um, it's just a duplex per... Have you seen your 3R report by chance? Yeah, it's a two-unit, uh, two according to the 3R report, but it's county record shows it as a, as a part of the square footage. And the bathroom in that unit is legal. Uh, I think that quite, that comes kind of from both of us, actually. Uh, for purposes of condominium conversion, if you're going to be a two-unit conversion bypassing the lottery, it can only be two units okay. in the building. And I don't know as far as what would you guys? We would consider probably two units and try to determine the uh, historically the legality of the studio um, if, if you actually have a third unit there, then we would possibly require that you eliminate that third unit in order to make it a, an, in fact, two-unit building. And by eliminating that, you'd reduce the square footage on no, county the, records? And the square footage doesn't necessarily have to change. Okay. What would have to change would be the use of that space so that it wouldn't be construed as being the third unit. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I have one question. And suppose you sold the two unit uh, has a TIC. Uh, are they exempt from the uh, condo conversion lottery? If you have both units that are owner-occupied, separate owners of record for one year, then yes, you can bypass the condominium lottery. Okay, thank you. Where can I get the flow chart uh, show on the uh, uh, conversion? Yeah, process? let me. I'll see if I can get that that flow chart back. Okay. Yeah, this would be the flow chart for <clears throat> a two-unit lottery bypass. Um, if code violations are discovered, and then the owner decides not to go with. That go through with the condo conversion process, does the city still require them to fix those violations as well as, say, uh, an illegal or unwarranted unit? Speaking on behalf of the city, yes. <laughs> uh, you'd mentioned that the, um, your department refers the application to both Planning and the Rent Board and one other agency? Human Rights is the other one. And what does the Rent Board and the Human Rights Agencies do? They're looking to see that the buildings comply with the subdivision code regarding any evictions that might have occurred. Okay. Thank you. Um, I just have a couple of quick questions. In terms of the lottery, how many are, are chosen? Oh, sorry, I left that part out. We're allowed to convert 200 units per year by condominium lottery, and that's units. That's not buildings. Okay. And um, I've read recently that there's now a seniority consideration in people getting their applications once uh, chosen from the lottery. Does, there, um, <clears throat> there was legislation passed last year that was in place for one year and then to be reviewed by the Board of Supervisors to determine if it would continue in place. At this time, we haven't heard back from the Board, so, so the, presumption it, is, the presumption is still in place as of today. So it's still basically an open lottery regardless of how many years somebody's been trying to convert? 
and open. Uh, don't your, your seniority has no bearing on whether or not you'd get selected on a given year. Today, that. Are you, are you, today, that legislation is still in place as far as um, the, the priority pools. But again, we're, uh, the Board of Supervisors is supposed to review that, and then we'll expect to hear back from them to know how we proceed for 2007. And my last question, once uh, if your units are chosen from the lottery, how, is there a time limit between that time and, and, and finishing your application and submitting your application? Yes, the, the letters will go out. Within a, I'm going to say about seven days after the lottery day to notify winners they can submit their application. You'll have a deadline that I believe is, um, it's, I believe it's the end of June. I, I can never remember. It's either the end of June or end of July by which you have to get your complete application submitted to our office. Reason being there are a lot of people on the standby list. And if somebody is not going to convert or doesn't qualify for some reason, we have to be able to go to the next person on the standby list. That list expires at the end of the year, so we have only until the end of December to get all those applications in. Great. Thank you very much. One last question. I, first of all, I just want to thank you for doing this uh, meeting. It's been very informative. Thank you. You have a flow chart up there that is really excellent. Is it available? And second <laughs> question and comment. The gentleman asked about a two-unit building that sold as a TIC. One of the things that you may not have addressed is the limitation of including Ellis Act. If you have a building that is delivered vacant due to Ellis Act and the conversion, and if you could just address that really quickly as well. Sorry. Well, I think that um, everybody needs to determine if they qualify for conversion under the subdivision code. Um, as far as Ellis, Ellis buildings, um, I don't know. I would encourage somebody to call me directly to talk about that. Uh, I, don't, I don't have the ability at the tip of my tongue to be able to address those. I'm sorry? Oh, the flow chart. Yes, the flow chart should be available on our website, sfdpw.org. This is the one for two. Oh, he changed it. That was the one for two-unit bypass, and there's a separate one for the lottery projects. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, if you would, please fill out the evaluation forms before you leave.